Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. What I want to look at today, um, I'm continuing along this theme of, of like Jesus that I, that I kicked off a couple of weeks ago. And in church, you're going to hear two terms that get used a lot when we talk about Jesus and when we talk about what he's done for us and who he is. And these two terms, they get used you know, right next to each other and at times it almost feels like they are speaking about the same thing or they're, they're almost doubling up um, on, the, on, the, on the same idea or the same topic. And these two terms are, are mercy and grace. And the reason why there is these two terms, even though at times I might feel like they're, they're talking about exactly the same thing, there is a, a difference to it. And um, I just want to read this section I, I, I found when I was putting some notes together. It's just really just, just put it in a, in a nutshell really well for me, which I thought was um, a great way to, to start off. It says, In the dictionary, grace is defined as courteous goodwill, meaning it is not asked for nor deserved, but is freely given. That's grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is the compassion and kind or kindness of someone shown to someone whom it is in one's power to punish or harm. It is an act meant to relieve someone of their suffering. So let's put it this way. Suppose someone attempted to rob your house. You learned that the robber was just in a desperate situation and didn't intend to do any harm at all. Instead of calling the police, you choose to pardon the thief and let the matter go. That's mercy. Then you give him some food and a few dollars to get him through this trying time. That's grace. And I just loved that. I thought that, 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 that word picture just painted it so well. That you know, the mercy of Christ is the fact that he, he dealt with the debt that we owe. Our sin debt. This, he dealt with this, this brokenness that we've got. And his grace, this free gift of life, is this gift that's undeserved, freely given. And today, you know, I want to focus more on that, that mercy aspect. What does that mercy of God look like? What does that mercy, you know, how do we see that exemplified in the life of Christ? And the fact is, you know, there's, there's a range of examples and, and theological things that we could point out. And, you know, I could give a whole sermon and break down the, 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 the theology of mercy and draw different aspects all through Scripture of, of how we see God being merciful and we see that shown in the life of Christ. But today what I want to do is that, you know, this idea of mercy is, is huge. It, 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 it goes right across Scripture. It's one of these central themes that we have. But sometimes to really get a scope of something that's huge is to actually get up close. I don't know about you, it's one thing to, to sit out in one of these headlands and watch the whales go by. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? But I'm, I'm yet to have the opportunity, but I've had a friend and I know many people have gone out in the boats. And you get up a bit closer and you start to realise the magnitude and the size of these things. And a friend of mine, he, he, he goes up diving in the in the Whit Sundays um, once a year. And he was up there diving one day and whales came past. 
And he said, in the water, it, you, you just realize the mass size and the, just the, the majesty of these creatures as they went past. He got it up close and personal. So today what I want to do is, is get up close and personal with Jesus a little bit and get up, up close and personal with the mercy of Jesus. You know, so my, you know, last time I spoke, I, you know, my, my title was, you know, take time like Jesus. But today my title is, you know, choose mercy like Jesus. You know, this, this idea that mercy is the sole act of someone who has the right and the authority and the power to punish an act, a crime, if you want to put it that way, but chooses not to, chooses to pardon. And I love the fact that it's, it is a conscious choice. You know, mercy isn't something that happens automatically. Mercy is a, is a very conscious act, a very conscious decision, isn't it? You know, you could almost say when you look at human nature that, that, uh, that revenge aspect or that, that reaction in angst or anger is almost the automatic. Wouldn't you agree? You know, overall, like, you know, this is very much sort of putting a, a broad umbrella over it, but overall, when something happens that's bad or wrong, that initial is like, ugh, didn't like that. That, that hurt me. That, that caused me pain. That caused me difficulty. That, that, that's, that's done something wrong. And you want to see it righted. And so to then choose mercy is to go, well, okay, this person's done something wrong. They deserve a consequence or punishment, but I'm making a choice to pardon. And there's a number of stories in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus that, that do depict this quite well. But the one for me that just really just, I don't know, it, it pulls on, on strings for me that just go, wow, that's just incredible, is the woman that was caught in adultery. So if you have your, your Bibles, chant to John chapter 8 with me. I'm just going to stay in this passage today. I'm not going to go anywhere else, really. But John chapter 8. Now, depending on your Bibles, you might have a little footnote or a little section in there saying that this section, so technically uh, the last verse in, in chapter 7, start of verse 8 through to verse 11, in mind, it says, you know, the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include this section. And they put that in there because when the, when the Bible scholars are looking at the original manuscripts when they're, when, they're, when they're doing a translation, with these more modern translations, they, they have since discovered, like since writing the, the King James even and things like that, there's some even older manuscripts of, of these writings. And so in some of those older versions, they're actually missing some of these sections, you know, for, for reasons it could be that that section was just damaged, for reasons it could be that it was just omitted, for, for whatever reason, we don't know. But there's enough manuscripts with it that they go, okay, some of the old ones didn't have it, but a lot of the more recent ones, though, you know, maybe another hundred years after these old ones or something like that, it is in there. And it's across a spectrum. So they can sort of safely say, well, look, it wasn't in the, in the really old ones we've got, 
but it's there enough for us to still put it in there. Does that make sense? That's why they put those footnotes in there, if you're ever, ever wondering. So reading, verse 8, chapter 1, through to 11. I just want to read it and then we'll pull it apart a little bit. So Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he went back again to, to the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, it's one of these passages that, you know, if you picture it as a story, it's just supposed to start off like any other day. Yeah, Jesus returned from where he'd stayed for the night, come into the temple, crowd gathered and said, yep, opportunity to teach. So he starts teaching. Should have been just another regular day. But these Pharisees, the religious leaders, are obviously starting to get a bit angsty and they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to catch him on his word so they can discredit him or get him in trouble somehow to get him out of the way. And it's quite a dramatic little scene here that, that, that scripture paints, isn't it? You know, there's a, there's a crowd around Jesus. He's doing his teaching. All of a sudden, this, these guys come in and they toss this woman before him. And as the line says, you know, she was caught in the act of adultery. So most scholars believe she was most likely naked. She probably didn't have time to grab much. You know, she might have had a shawl or a blanket or something over or something like that. But to say that she was caught in the act, is she was there with this person. Now, one of the very obvious questions that get thrown out there in this passage is, where's the other guy? Where's the man in this story? This woman got caught, but where's the man? Because according to these laws that they're quoting, it should be both. So straight away, there's, there's some dodginess going on here. Can't, you, can, you can see that. And these Pharisees and religious teachers were just going, okay, we've got a great opportunity here to try and trip Jesus up, to try and catch him, because they obviously seem to be aware of this idea that Jesus would forgive sins. You know, the, the, the number of times early in his ministry where he would say, your sins are forgiven, be healed. And they, they would always go, what do you mean? You, you can't forgive sins. And he says, well, what's easier? <laughs> Ask a man to get up who's been lame his whole life or forgive him of his sins. And so they knew this was a, a topic that would, would cause some contention. And so they're trying to trap him between you know, his mercy and the, the Torah law. And so this law in question, it's, there's a few references about adultery and how to, how to treat it in, in, in the Torah law. But the one that they were really sort of highlighting, because they highlight the stoning, because stoning wasn't always the 
the crime. For a lot of crimes, according to the, the, the Talmud and the, the, the teachings of the uh, Jewish people at that time, was actually strangulation. It's pretty horrible. But stoning was a pretty specific uh, punishment for specific things. So this is the one out of Deuteronomy chapter 22. It says, If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin, who is engaged to be married and has intercourse with her. If this happens within the town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help and the man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge evil from among you. So these religious leaders and the, the, the Pharisees, they would have been quoting this. They would have said that the Torah law says this because they knew it. They could quote it word for word. And so they come before Jesus. You know, you're a rabbi, you know the law. This woman was, was, was caught in this particular act. So it wasn't just general adultery, it was that, that she was betrothed and engaged and she went out and met up with someone else. That was, that was the context of this, this stoning that they're, 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 they're demanding. And the reason why this question was a trap was if Jesus said, yep, let's stone her. They would have said, oh, but hang on, Romans, <laughs> one of our rabbis is, 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 de- is declaring a death sentence. That's your job. And they would have been able to lock him up because it wasn't actually there. They, they didn't have that authority to declare, yep, this is the punishment and we're going to kill you. They had, they had to go via the Roman government to do that. On the flip side, if Jesus just said, oh, well, no, just forget about it, they would have said, oh, well, he's soft on the law. Don't listen to him. He's a false prophet. So they're trying to catch Jesus in this bind. Much like, you know, in in Matthew 21, where they ask him about which authority does he teach under. But Jesus, he, he he knew their hearts, didn't he? He knew their motivation. Scripture says that a number of times. And so in that one, he goes, well, okay, I'll ask you a question first. And he fires one back at them that they couldn't answer. So he says, well, if you can't answer it, I won't answer mine. There's another one in, in Matthew 22 where they ask him about paying taxes. And he goes, all right, well, show me a coin. You know, they're trying to trip him out, tri- you know, try- trying to get him to say something about not paying temple tax. And he goes, well, yeah, got Caesar's face on it. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And they go, oh, we can't fight that, can we? <laughs> so a number of times they try to trap him, but Jesus just finds this way. To go, you know what? This isn't the way that God operates. There's a better way. There's a, there's, a, there's a deeper and a higher way of doing this. So in verse 6 to 9, you know, they start to fire at him a little bit. And what does he do? He bends down, starts to write in the sand. And it was interesting. I read, read some commentaries on this to sort of get different scope. And there's, there's a lot of ideas around this, this, this act that he did. And a lot of people always ask, you know, well, what did he do? What did he write in the sand? Yeah, you know, and there's, there's, there's lots of great thought and lots of great imagery that, that you know, you sort of just go, wow, you know, maybe he did. You know, one of the thoughts is that he started actually writing out the sins of these men. So he puts the challenge, okay, well, you know, who, who hasn't sinned? Throw the first stone. So you, you did this. You, you did this. You, you did this. <laughs> who knows? Maybe he just started writing out the Torah law. Maybe he started writing out the Ten Commandments. And as those men started to look down the list, they go, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a cultural thing that 
to, to bend down and to sort of draw in the sand was just a very obvious act. And it would be the same today. If someone was up talking to you and sort of saying, hey, answer my question, you stooped down and started just doodling in the sand, they would be going, he's outright ignoring me. And that, that's essentially what Jesus was doing. But the fact is, what he wrote or what he did really doesn't matter. But it was this act of just going, I'm actually not even that interested in what you guys are bringing before me. But when he does stand and answers the challenge, he answers with, yeah, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Yeah, a great answer. On one hand, it doesn't disregard the law. He actually says, well, yeah, law says stoner. But if you're going to be the one to, 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 to bring this judgment and this punishment, you'll be without sin. And I love how the scripture says, you know, started with the oldest. The eldest moved away first. And I just wonder whether they just had that worldly wisdom to sort of go, oh, yeah, nah, I've lived a long life and I know I haven't lived perfect. And as they sort of dribble away, slowly but surely, they all dribble away. I love this idea that he, he dealt with them first. He didn't deal with the actual act that had happened. And he doesn't disregard what happened. But he deals with them first. And he deals with their brokenness. He actually, you could almost say he showed them mercy first. Because he could have, he, he could have fired back, couldn't he? You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, there was plenty of times where he says, I know your heart, you did this. And at times he, he did fire back at those Pharisees, didn't he? You know, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you know? He didn't hold his words back if he, if, he, if he wanted to. But in this situation, he sort of said, no, well, if you don't have sin, look inside yourselves first. And I think that's it was him showing mercy on them. He could have called them out and says, oh, well, hey, you did this. Hey, <laughs> how'd you guys even know this was going on? His challenge to them gave them you know, self-perspective. Self and they actually realized, well, yeah, I've, I've done things wrong. So what right do I have to, 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 to call this judgment? Then we deal with the real, I guess, the crunch part of it, the, the, beauty, the beauty of this story. Yeah, verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. You know, I read that statement and I was going, what a liberating statement that must have been for that woman. Where are your, your accusers? For me, I'll just go, you know, how, how powerful is that, that in the presence of Jesus, we can say, where are our accusers? Because in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of his grace and his mercy, and when we surrender to that, we have no accusers. The enemy can't accuse us. Our past can't accuse us. Our failures can't accuse us because we're in the presence of Jesus. So for this woman in the presence of Jesus, she could answer, you know, no, I have, I have none. 
Not even one of them could condemn you. There was one. Jesus. Out of that circle of people in, that were there dealing with that woman, the one that could throw the stone, that had every right to throw the stone, was Jesus. He was without sin. So according to his own challenge, according to the law, he could stone her. That was the punishment. That was the consequence. So he never said, well, oh, well, I don't believe them. I don't think he did it. I think there was an obvious aspect of this where he went, well, yeah, you've been caught. You've sinned. You're broken. You've fallen short. But then he shows mercy. Neither do I. I don't condemn you. And how true is that of Jesus, his whole ministry, his whole life? As I said, you know, when we look at the whole scope of it, that's exactly what he did. You know, there's other passages there. I haven't, I haven't got them in my notes here, but you know, like you know, where he said, you know, I haven't come to condemn the world. I've come to save it. But when you get up and close and personal and just sort of put yourself in the, next to this woman, you know, how great that mercy must have felt. How amazing it must have been for her to hear those words, neither do I. Neither do I. So when this world tries to accuse you, when your past and your failures and your, your own brokenness accuses you, get close to Jesus. Because he goes, well, I don't. I don't. He calls us to live righteous and that's where he finishes off. Go and sin no more. But what a, what a starting point. You know, so often I think we sort of condemn ourselves, don't we? We pull ourselves down. Oh, I stuffed up so bad. Oh, I can't get this right. And I, I try to live right for God and it just doesn't work. We, start, we, try to, we try to pick ourselves up and live righteous from a place of condemnation. Where scripture shows and this story shows, no, start from the place of mercy. Start from the fact that you have been set free from that. You've been redeemed from that. You've been pardoned of that. Even these acts that we haven't even done yet. Each time we stuff up, realize, no, God has shown his mercy on me. I am forgiven. I am set free. And from there, I can go and sin no more. I can step off and start again. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't a pardon. It was just, oh, well, yeah, just get on with life and that's all good. No, go and sin no more. Realize that there's a better life there for you. Realize that there's a better you know, righteousness available to you. And you know, for the Jewish people, they knew what that was. They knew that, what that was. They, 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 their culture was getting corrupted and torn down by the, the, the Roman and the Greek culture around them. That's why these, these acts were, were happened and they're probably more common than what we give credit for. The Israelite people weren't perfect, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but for this woman, up close and personal, I just wonder just how amazed she would have been at that moment. Here's this great rabbi, this great teacher, Jesus, you know, the one that's ca causing all this, 
noise in the city, you know, causing all these miracles and all these great things happening. Right next to her, I don't condemn you. Go, sin no more. So how do we do that? How do we choose mercy like Jesus? It really does boil down to that choice. We've got to choose it. When things happen around us, when when people wrong us, when 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 there's offences, you know, whether it's a particular someone or just <laughs> the nature of this world, what's our what's our response? Do we choose to get angry? Do we choose to to to, to get revenge? Do we choose to to hate? Or do we choose to show mercy? Do we choose to go, well, yeah, this world is broken. But I'm not going to condemn it. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to bring life. I want to carry the message of his salvation. I want to carry his good news, his gospel, into every situation I possibly can. And it's not our place. It's not our place to condemn. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say, you know, people, you know, there's always that question when someone passes away. Oh, yeah, well, how do we know? And, you know, and I just go, well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's not my place. God's the judge, not me. I don't know the state of someone's heart before they take their last breath. Yeah. You know? Within the church, we're called to look at each other's fruits. Yeah, and we can judge that. We can just go, well, when you look at the fruit of their life, maybe they're not doing so well. Or maybe they're doing great. But it's not our place to judge and bring judgment on people. Our place is to show mercy. Our place is to, to, to walk out that grace that's been so amazingly given to us. Amen? Amen. Let me finish up there. Lord God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the, the challenge it is, Lord God, to, to, to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. And to go, well, I want to do my best to imitate that. I want to do my best to live like that. I thank you for that challenge. And I thank you that you show us mercy first. That in our brokenness, in our failures, in our, our sinfulness, you pardoned us. You paid the debt with your life so that we didn't have to pay it. So that we didn't have to suffer it. And you graced us with life and life abundant. You graced us with freedom. Freedom from our brokenness and our sinfulness. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the power of your new life. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. That you let us get close. That you let us be in your presence where there is no condemnation. Where in your presence... We have no accusers. Thank you for this word today and we thank you for your, your gift, Lord God. Your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.